Ready? Yep. Hey, everyone. This is Ricky Grove, and you are listening to the And Now for Something Completely Machinima podcast for August 2022. I'm here uh, with Tracy Harwood, our, one of our regulars. Hi, Tracy. Hello. And Damien Valentine, uh, also one of our regulars and a great commentator on the news and films. Hello, sir. Hello there. Phil is busy throwing up in the uh, some bathroom in Florida, so he won't be here. We we told him we wanted him to use his cell phone to participate, but he just you know he threw <laughs> up on the cell phone, and now that doesn't work. So we're we're just left hanging here. But uh, get well soon, Phil. Uh, we are going to include your excellent film choice for this month. Uh, but this first section is going to be our uh, Machinima News section. And I think uh, Tracy has some feedback to deal with first, and then she'll go into her news, then Damien, and then our news. Now, all, remember, all of the news that we're talking about is related to Machinima in some way or real-time filmmaking. So, Tracy, take it yeah, away. Absolutely. Um, well, we've had some really great feedback again this month. Thanks to everyone oh, that's um, giving us some uh, some uh, words of wisdom from their perspective. Um, I'll start with Mike Clements. Um, Mike uh, has asked, well, this is a biggie word, really, um, but Mike has asked us, what is our favourite, uh, uh, greatest all-time machinima? He wants to know, what is the Citizen Kane or Terminator 2 of machinima? And the other thing he said is um, he really appreciates Ben's uh, Machinima history videos, uh, particularly the Quake one that he um, spent some time looking at. So thanks for those comments. Um, I think personally speaking, from my point of view, there are just too many great Machinima films um, that we've seen over the years um, to, to call it, if, in, in my view. Um, I think our whole podcast is full of some great examples of the literally tens of thousands of films that creators have made over the years, demonstrating uh, many different styles and tools and environments and approaches. And, and what I particularly love about it is that creative diversity um, that we are finding in the work. That's, that's my favorite part of it, really. Um, and so perhaps that question is something that we might throw back at you guys, our listeners, um, and perhaps as a thread on um, the Discord server that we've got. What do you guys think? I think that's a great idea. Um, you know, the idea of the greatest or the top 10, they're, they're popular tools for getting information out there, but they aren't necessarily reliable because a great deal of it has to do on personal preference. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a person who just loves strange and experimental films, you're not going to like the sentimental films of Frank Capra, you know what I mean? Or, or stuff that it's in that vein. By the same token, if you're somebody who loves the mainstream stuff, you're just going to scratch your head over experimental work. So it really is a personal choice. Um, I was thinking about the question and I just didn't want to answer it, but it's stayed around in my head for some time. And I think what came up in my mind over and over again was a machinima film called The Snow Witch. Oh, yeah. Uh, which just there's just something about it that made me feel so great. And I think is such a representative of, of, of the two sides of machinima, which is the sort of rough and ready side, meaning that you make it fast, uh, you, you don't spend a year putting it together, but also there's a, 
a, a good amount of craft to it. So it looks good. It has great quality, it has something to say for one thing, because uh, it's based on a great Japanese uh, a myth or folklore. And uh, the director who's, oh boy, I'm gonna embarrass is myself. It, is it Michelle? Michelle, yes. Um, she was. She worked Britannica Productions. That's it, she yeah. worked for maybe three or four years, and then sort of slid away into other things that she was interested in. But, but I think if I had a film that that I could show somebody who doesn't know anything about machinima, I would choose that film. Mm. Mm. What about you, Damien? Yeah, I don't think I can choose one film either because even not my taste in favorite film just any kind of film not just machinima that changes every day as well because <laughs> so yeah. well, how can i pick a favorite machinima film when i can't even <laughs> pick my favorite tv series or <laughs> it just varies depending on what i feel like watching yeah and that is yeah. a good choice that is, well, I didn't say that is <laughs> well it is a good choice actually i mean I, yeah there are there's so many from those kind of early days that push the boundaries but i remember that one um I remember showing that at the um, European Machinima Festival back in 2007 with BBC in the audience, and they were fascinated by that. Wow. Uh, and that kicked off a whole sort of um, let's come and talk to you about machinima kind of um, discussion, specifically yeah. in relation to the Snow Witch film. It was, it was beautifully voiced and you know the the oh yeah yeah the story was really well told on that everything about it just works you know it did yeah and it's the kind of thing that um takes the lie out of people saying well machinima is just a cheap you know it's really just a, a, a to to sketch out an idea you know as opposed to truly being a legitimate film on its own yeah you know and i'm really we glad to, to see that we did a real deep dive into that several months ago. I'll have to put a link in the show notes to that so you can go back and listen to what we had to say about it way back when, Mike. Um, then uh, just just picking up on some other comments that Mike made last month on the films episode. If you remember, we talked about why do people recreate scenes from big budget films right. in reference to that sort of parody machinima of the opening scene of Top Gun Maverick. Um, right. which we reviewed by Phenom. Um, well, Mike says it's perhaps a bit like practicing on an instrument and found Phil's point about how it's through recreating the works that we can uncover the why, the process and the language of cinematography. And I think, yeah, we, we pretty much all agreed on that, um, that point in the end. So great observations. Pity Phil's yep. not here to sort of pick up on that as well. Yeah, well, he's and throwing up. <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah. Too much flying jets for him. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Um, three, <laughs> 3D Chick also picks up on a similar point, saying that Phil was spot on from her perspective. It's all about learning the software, trying to recreate something very specific that she likes and can learn from. And that also helps her to keep focused. Um, and then she also comments, though, that as a person who's... Um, uh, doing animation in Unreal and iClone uh, and would like to someday make money from it. Doing something that is trending is going to get more views on YouTube. Um, she says the algorithm will show that to more eyeballs, which is also a reason so many do tutorials because they're searchable and get more attention and viewer retention rather than the miscellaneous animations. And I get that. 
I have to say, I do get that, but it's also, True. in my view, a kind of a lazy approach to it too. For me, that Thank is. you. Thank you for pointing that out. An alternative way of looking at it is that the thousands, if not tens of thousands people who are gonna do that to bring views to their uh, YouTube channel, um, there are gonna be people out there who go, I don't wanna watch that. I wanna watch something different. And yeah. if you do something that's more creative, uh, like come up with your own original scene or choose something from a short story or redo a, a public domain uh, stuff that people don't know about and then really add your own personal flair to it. Um, you can benefit by learning the craft while you're also being creative as well. So I think that's another perspective we need to include in the conversation. Yeah. Good points, actually, Ricky. Yeah. And we then on the... Go on, sorry. I, I, I just basically agree with Ricky is we don't want to just recreate big budget TV shows and films because we can just watch those anyway. We don't want to... I mean, if it's really well done recreation, that's great, but we'd like to see new stuff as well. Mm. In fact, we prefer to see new stuff, but, you know, I can understand why um, it's important to learn and sometimes that is a good way to learn is I want to recreate this scene because I don't know how to make the engine do this thing but if I try and recreate it as close as possible I will learn how to do it and then I can take that knowledge and then go and create my own thing. Exactly exactly very good point. Yeah. Absolutely um, and then on the films themselves that we reviewed we've heard back from three of the creators um, which is great oh. so thanks for that. Um, firstly EE Studios has been in touch to shed light on some of their approach to humour which we picked up on if you can say that um you know we had we had some observations about the crudeness of the humor um right. but but they enjoyed our review nonetheless um uh, and they say what they try to do is capture as much of the truth of any group they can in the moment so that mm. there are bits that happen organically which they then um, try to build on uh, and then if you remember we also had some comments about the the um the facial animations, which were a little bit variable. Um, and they say that the game tech from their perspective is still very buggy and often works against them, especially since ah. they're not using expensive cameras, but that the facial recognition itself is pretty good given the current parameters that they're working with, yeah. which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then they've also recommended that we have a, a look at another one of their series called Overclock, which we we are going to get around to doing. So thanks for Good. that recommendation. Yeah, it's important to keep in mind that that oftentimes our criticism is based on uh, sometimes an ideal uh, uh, version of the film. So if there's a weakness in a in a particular aspect of a machine of a film, we can say, well, that's a weakness, but. I, I think that's a good thing to remember that, that sometimes it's the lim limitations of the game engine mm -hmm. that that make it a weakness, not so much that they're just they don't have the craft to fix that, you know, so I think that's a good point. Thank you. Thank you very much for raising that up in your feedback. Absolutely. Um, and then JS Films has come back to us um, and commented on um, on the film that, that uh, we reviewed there, that it took him a really long time re-rendering the scene to find the brightness. And if you recall, what we said was it was too dark. Wow. Um, but, but Jay says, whilst he liked its darkness, he, he probably agrees with us that it was possibly too dark for daytime viewing. Mm. Um, so 
Yeah, indeed. And then TMC also enjoyed our review of their film Hired Steel. Um, and they're currently working on the next episode and wanted to say that their content is actually completed, uh, completely 3D rendered in Blender and other ah. software suites. Wow, um, that's cool. Uh, absolutely. Um, they say they texture, light, animate and render everything themselves and extract the models from the game and then rework them with permission, which I have to say is interesting, um, which is how the project is connected to the game. Um, so it's a really interesting workflow there. And thanks for telling us about that. That would be a really interesting workflow to to examine to have somebody we should consider talking to them sometime yes, in the future absolutely so if you're up for an interview we'd love to talk to you about that um and then a couple of folks have also picked up on some of the things we highlighted in last month's news episode notably the use of characters that look like real people and the potential ways that some of the latest technologies we're talking about are going to <clears> exacerbate <throat> the issues we talked about basically that's using people's visual identity as assets with questionable permission to do so and to that um 3d chick says well um when reillusion came out with headshot she said she was stunned to see the model they were using to demonstrate it who was a real person a model in new york and still wonders if they paid the model or just found the image online hmm. and then combining that with the vtuber tech that we talked about feels it's just going to be a recipe for all sorts of trouble I guess um, one of the ways um, these organizations can assure everyone is to make sure that the credits are very clear. Um, but I think it's something that just doesn't seem to happen routinely yet in this arena. It's something we've commented yeah, yeah. Um, quite a lot on over, over a period of time. And then Lord Crit on our Discord server also comments on how VTuber technology is advancing, which is clearly becoming quite an alternative for webcamming streamers, he says. Chris Newell commented on our April Films episode, that was um, episode 35, and wanted to highlight the role that TMO and TMU played in bringing Machinima to the fore all those years ago with a, a show that covered every tool there was from Second Life to iClone and MovieStorm and so on, showing people how you could make a movie with game software and how that in turn stimulated a lot of creativity. I think we'd all say hear, hear to that. Yeah. Yes, hear, hear. Uh, and finally, 3D Chick says um, she loves our long episodes and wishes we could manage two a month. <laughs> Although she says we, she realizes we all have lives. Thank you. <laughs> so, so nice Thank kind you. words. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, I'm really glad you enjoyed listening to us. Uh, yeah, yes. absolutely. Um, I think we excelled ourselves last month. We were we we, we commented that somebody said can you cut it down to 15 minutes and we ended up doing an hour and 20 minutes or something <laughs> <laughs> which is <laughs> us was, just uh running I was, wild <laughs> i was editing that and i was going through it, i thought i can't cut this bit out it's too good can't cut this bit out it's too good and then you in the end I didn't cut anything out because it's just the conversation was you can't just do it because you just, just go with it out, so yeah, yeah. And, uh, but we do chapter it up or you know chunk it up so you know that's the beauty of youtube yeah. i think you can kind of yeah you know cut and dice it and what have you anyway right so uh i would just say keep those comments coming because we we love um hearing what you've got to say about what we're it, talking it about it gives us fuel to keep doing this and enthusiasm and inspiration thank you absolutely and the, the other thing i'd say is if you spot anything we should be looking at do please point us in the right direction. Absolutely. We, we love We're always interested in films and new technology or something that we've missed. I mean, we can't possibly include everything that we've come across 
in one month. So we have to narrow it down. If you give us leads, we'll, we'll follow them. Absolutely. That's it. That's all the feedback um, that we've got this month. So thanks again. All right. Brilliant. What kind of news do you have for us today? Oh my God, me. Yes, you. <laughs> I have uh, lots of news again, but I'm going to cut it actually. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, I try it. to keep it within reason. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So we don't want another hour and 20 minutes. Indeed. And I could do that on my own, I think, these days. Um, first of all, some really interesting applications of machinima. And I've got two things I want to talk about. Um, we mentioned some time ago the actor Sam Crane, who's otherwise known as Rustic Mascara on social media, and a motley cast of GTA characters performed what has been described as the first full theatrical performance of a Shakespeare play in GTA Online. <laughs> this was Hamlet, and it was live streamed on the 4th of July. I was one of those uh, folks out of the game in, in the audience. Um, I have to say, I think what impressed me most about this endeavor was the way they thought through how to deal with the audience in the game, as well as perform the play. No mean feat, I have to say. Hmm. Um, and there wasn't, there wasn't, hundreds of people in there with them but there was enough that they needed to manage the process and i think my favorite part was when they moved to another set to perform a scene in an aircraft which they crashed <laughs> and killed everyone <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious um uh, i think really it was uh, overall it was a really enjoyable event um super interesting um to to see and and I think also interestingly has since attracted more mainstream media attention too. And what they said was the goal that they had for it or that Sam had for it was um, wanting to bring Shakespeare to a, a new audience. To, and I think to an extent they probably have done that, um, but I think it will be kind of interesting to see how others pick up on this kind of Shakespearean mantle in, in future also. So I was, I'll be super interested to see, see how that unfolds. Well, I'm um, really glad you, you attended that. And it sounds like a fascinating event. But I'd like to point out that the novelty of doing Shakespeare and GTA is what attracts people, not the fact that it's Hamlet's absolutely. by William Shakespeare. But if that's a doorway into people suddenly going, well, wow, this is kind of an interesting play. Let me go take a look at it. That could be very useful. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you on that one, Ricky. It was most definitely an odd experience. Yeah, for, it for... reminded me a little bit of the strolling strolling players or street theater. Yeah. That, that tradition has been around forever and dealing with unruly audiences has always been part of the um, experience. I recall reading when I was doing a lot of research on uh, performing Shakespeare, one of the earliest uh, uh, strolling players, Shakespeare players, was in the United States just after the Civil War. And many uh, cities did not like drama or plays because they thought they were immoral. So this one particular company would specialize in being able to bring in a production really fast. And then if the local sheriff or authorities got wind of it, tie everything up no matter where they were, and then leave before they got arrested. <laughs> and it had the account of somebody there were doing Othello, 
And about halfway through, they got the um, news that the sheriff was on the way. And so one of the characters, so they made the signal and who, whatever character was on stage quickly summarized what happened. They did a quick bow and left all within like 60 seconds. So I thought that, and of course that must have been hilarious for the people yeah. watching it. So that tradition is something that they didn't establish, but I'm really glad to see it still exists today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, I question that it's first Shakespearean play to be performed in a, in a virtual environment, because I'm pretty sure that sort of stuff has been going on in Second Life for a very long no, time. No, no. I was in a, a, a Shakespeare production that was um, uh, done, done in, what, IRC chat, and then also in some other virtual reality back in, God, just 1998, something like yeah. that. I'd forgotten all the details, so I, I can't remember it. But yeah, no, I think the, I don't think they were the first. No, but it's an interesting it's interesting to talk about it in any event. And I Indeed. think it's, it, it's interesting because obviously Sam's a professional actor and obviously yes. a Shakespearean actor, you know, having played at, uh, at the Globe and whatnot as well. So he's, you know, he's got all the chops with the performance side of it, but just never actually done it in a. In a, in a in a game environment that he well loves. congratulations and i encourage them to keep doing it uh, maybe macbeth is the next one to do absolutely inside of uh, uh some sort of rough and ready um game world you know yes exactly okay what you're saying about the sheriff coming and shutting down the plays i'm just thinking in gta if one of the actors accidentally did something to set off the police in the in-game NPC police. <laughs> yeah. That would be good. Then all <laughs> so, the cast is running away in cars and the police the are chasing comes in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what was interesting is they managed all the, the scenes so that there were no, uh, you know, there was no opportunity for people to discover what they were doing and just, you know, um, interrupt it. Uh, so so you know they were on a ship or they were in an area where there was nobody else or an island or bits bits and bobs so that so the whole thing was really choreographed to a very high level i thought um but the way they moved the audience around and told them where to stand whilst they were setting up the scene really you know there, there was a lot of thought that had gone into the audience management side as well as the actual performance side of it that's um, great so yeah impressive Secondly, then, nice little article about Unreal Engine 5 having been used to create the set of a music venue as a kind of previs, um, which I think is a nice twist on the use of game engines used as tools that, that create set-based backdrops. We've talked about this kind of, quite a bit in the past, um, where Machinima is, um, has been used as a previs tool for film, but it's really, I think it's really quite interesting to see that um, that use is being spread across a broader range of entertainment experiences now too so i'll put a link in the show notes um to that um quite quite an interesting use i think yes um and then i've got a couple <clears> of <throat> um tips hints and useful stimuli that you might be interested in okay. uh, nice little uh video featuring christopher nolan explaining how he made a series of films with no budget or low budget um lots of good ideas in there uh, it's not specifically about machinima of course um, it's it's more about real film, um, but I've no doubt that the same kind of ideas that he talks about can be applied in a virtual context too. So we'll put a link to that. Um, and an article on the 50 greatest fictional deaths of all time um, has been published, which purports to cover 
the most tear-jerking, hilarious, satisfying and shocking scenes from two and a half thousand years of culture. There are some pretty good ones on the list. If you're looking for inspiration, you could try one or more of those um, to sort of uh, wet your teeth rather than try and recreate um, shot by shot, big budget film scenes. That might be a way of sort of stimulating some creative juice. So we'll put a link to that article in there as well. Sounds fascinating. It is. You'd enjoy that one, Ricky. Um, and then I've got a few tech tools that you might be interested in. Um, the first one, an AI dubbing service that automates video translation with human sounding voiceovers called Papercup. Uh, it's not free, but it still looks pretty interesting, pretty useful um, from, from my point of view. So if you're thinking about how you can kind of make your film more accessible to a different audience, or you'll say creating content in a language that won't necessarily uh, make it more accessible to a wider audience, I think that's a potentially useful tool to have a look at. Um, then there's a new markerless mocap hand tracking tool in Animate 3D software, um, which is by DeepMotion. Uh, that seems to have been published in June. It's also not free, but there is a kind of a freemium model operating for this. So you can, you can create something uh, up to about, I think it's about 30 seconds long for free. And then depending on what you want to use it for, you know, you, you can kind of pay increasing amounts to create kind of um, more content. So if you think that one through, you might be able to get away with a, with a freemium use of it. Um, and an interesting idea, if not an app or indeed a tutorial, um, a guy has created a set that links Unreal Engine 5 to the orientation data from an Android phone, which allows him to simulate gravity by rotating a monitor. And it's one of those kind of really simple things which could possibly lead to hours and hours of fun. You know, you can tip your screen and the whole set sort of wobbles about and it's brilliant. Have a look at it. Um, okay. See what you make of it. I used to imagine Sounds someone making a Star Trek-like machinima. And you know the scenes when the bridge starts shaking and the crew goes flying off yeah. all over? You could do that just by shaking the screen. Shaking the screen, yeah. And you tip, tip it upside <laughs> down just to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it is pretty interesting what he's done with it. I, I mean, it's, like I said, it's not a tutorial. It doesn't tell you how he's done it, but it doesn't look that difficult to do, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, just a fascinating idea. Another one of those kind of creative little things that you might want to play with, I guess. Thank you. And, that, and that's it for me. That's all my news this month. You always have such great news. Thanks for, for putting the effort into come up, coming up with such good stuff. Hey, Damien, what do you have for us today in the way of Machinima News? Um, I've got uh, a few interesting things. Um, all right. So there's the Godot 4 engine, which it's a, it's a video game engine, a bit like Unity. It's open source and it's free. Um, I don't know too much about it um, myself, but they've recently just had an update which allows footage from whatever game you've created to be saved as a video file or an image sequence, which oh, is yeah. perfect for making machinima because you can yep. you don't have to make a game, but if you're using the engine to create your scene, you now got the tools built into it to save the footage which you can then um, do whatever you like with whatever editing software you want. Uh, and so that's obviously a huge um, new feature for 
the engine um, and the update itself is free so it's completely free to try that um, but I, I don't know anything else about the engine so I, I can't recommend it I know it does 2d and 3d but I've reviewed it and um, worked with it a bit and it's a bit like blender was before they had their big breakthrough um, update um, right. it, it's still in the process it's community people were open source driven um, but I liked it a lot. I like the attitude. I like the uh, uh, tools. They just never seem to get around to do, doing much uh, uh, in the way of helping uh, machinima filmmakers. So I'm really glad to see that they brought the capability to, to create machinima inside of it more easily because I think it's really an up and coming game engine. It's, it's overshadowed by unreal and unity a lot but i like it i think i think the look is really good more and more people are making games from it so i encourage people to take a look at it since it's free uh, and start making machinima inside of it yeah um so the next thing is uh last week last month we talked about um love death and robots which is a netflix animated series and um a few days after that they released a sort of behind the scenes video of a different episode in the series uh, called In Vaulted Halls Entombed. And it turns out that was rendered, animated and rendered entirely in Unreal. Mm. And um, they were attracted to Unreal as a real time platform uh, and because of the visual quality. Uh, so this behind the scenes video, they, they kind of talk about why they chose it, which I just kind of covered, but they also, it shows the actors in the motion capture suits and they're in the big studio and they've got these markers on the floor so that the, the actors mm. know where to go. And um, I thought it was interesting to see how uh, real time animation is being used on this sort of Netflix level. Mm. And uh, I watched the actual episode as well because I, I hadn't seen it before and it looks really good. I mean, I can mm. see why they wanted to use Unreal. It's visually stunning. Mm. Um, it's a bit gory and violent. so. If you're a bit sensitive to that, maybe avoid it. But I thought it was really good, and it's you know it's really really well made, and you can see um, they put a lot of effort into it. And I, one of the things they talk about in the behind the scenes video is if they didn't have that real time uh, ability to render real time, they would not have been able to make it because they just did not have the time to do uh, rendered with the, with the schedule they were given. So that's the only mm. way they could make this story was to use Unreal. Fascinating. Mm. That is interesting. Unreal's and, a game changer, isn't it, really, in many yeah. ways? It sure is. It's, it's a bellwether for real-time mm. filmmaking. I'm mm. surprised there aren't more machinima filmmakers making films inside of Unreal um, because it has all of the elements that early machinima communities were, were crying out for. A marketplace where you could buy materials, characters, and sets. It's free. It's got all of the elements that allow you to animate quickly or mocap quickly. Uh, lip sync is built right into it. I mean, it's just got everything. Plus mm. you can do styles of rendering. You can do a cartoon style of rendering. You can combine live action with it, uh, with adjusting the render style. So, wow, if you haven't tried out Unreal Engine uh, now and you're listening to this, go over to that place to download it the community is huge lots of tutorials and see what you can make of it and yeah. it's free as well it's and it's free free free, free. 
I mean, I, I've got a theory on that, really. I think they're all busy uh, making tutorials with it at the moment, not putting enough <laughs> That's time right. You had into... mentioned that before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I even talked to, you know, I even when I was talking to John McInnes about it, I was saying that, you know, really, we've got to get these folks off these tutorials and into the creative thing. There needs to be more competitions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's well, great and helpful, but you know, you need to actually make something, not just absolutely rather than a tutorial. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway, yeah. sorry, Damien. <laughs> yeah. Well, sticking with Unreal, um, we talked all about how the Star Wars TV shows have used Unreal for the Mandalorian and everything to create the virtual sets. But uh, the Star Trek is also using it. Uh, the series that just finished, Strange New Worlds, used the virtual set. Um, technology to create the alien environments that they beamed down to, but also some of the environments on the ship, like the engine room. They didn't build a whole engine room set. They just had the front bit with some computer terminals, but then right, everything right. else behind was all virtual. And uh, it looks stunning. Uh, I actually think they did better with it than the Star Wars shows did, because the Star Wars shows have mostly focused on desert planets, which, you know, it's nice to see something different, whereas Strange New Worlds lives up to its name each planet looks very different there's one planet where it's, it's all frozen and there's a crashed ship in the background and you've got the characters they beam down and they look around and then they head off to the ship to investigate it um and i think you know that, that's a really good use of the technology and it sure is it looks better than some of the feature films that are still using green screen technology mm. where you can tell that the actors are in front of a fake environment it looks kind of like well, not quite as rough as the picture on uh, my webcam now, but you can you know you can tell it's not real. But when you've got this virtual environment, because it's actually there behind the actors as they're there, they, they blend in a bit better, so it looks more real. Even though you know they're not really on an alien planet, it looks like they are, and that's really important for a show like this where you want to believe the characters are there. And I think Strange New Worlds did it uh, really well. Uh, Star Trek Discovery has also used this technology, but Strange New Worlds is the first Star Trek show to use it entirely from the beginning, from the first episode. Um, they film it in Toronto, I believe, and they do share the, the virtual set with Discovery. So they kind of use, and they've only got one of these environments, so they have to take turns using it, which um, must be quite fun. Yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, it, it's another... Um, way to demonstrate how unreal in this virtual environment technology has been used mm. um, and uh, you know we've talked about it a lot before and I think we probably will again as more examples of it come along. Mm. Well Hollywood production is all about saving money so the fact that they're shooting in Toronto and not Los Angeles at the Paramount Studios which is the home of Star Trek is an indication that they're really into saving a lot of money. And using Unreal is another way to save money too. So mm. I'm glad that that's happening. I'm disappointed that they're taking jobs away from uh, California uh, workers and giving it to Canadian workers, but that's been a trend that's been going on for a decade now. Uh, but Unreal, I think more and more productions are using that and they're not just doing it on a one episode basis. They're doing, like you say, they're figuring it into their production right from the very beginning. Yeah. And I'm really glad to see that because I know Epic is working with uh, um, production companies and refining Unreal as they come up with, with new problems mm -hmm. that the engine can't 
solve. And then they have a lot of money and they have a lot of developers and researchers and they solve that problem and then add it to the game, which is for free that you can get the benefit from yeah. um, in a year or so. Mm. So it's both positive and negatives on that, but I want to emphasize the positives on it. And I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, just to say also that um, the next episode of um, the history uh, part of our podcast that Ben's doing ah, yes. is actually about Unreal uh, and the background to it and how they came to develop um, the matinee tool that's the um, the background to the you know the current iteration of it. Um, Fascinating so, history. Yeah, uh, you'll you'll really enjoy that, I'm sure. And the other part of it is also the speed because it's all rendered in real time. So if you have a green screen and you've got your actors and they perform the scene, they'll mm. perform it. So they their performance will be the same speed no matter what the background is. Yep. But if you've got the green screen and you're doing uh, rendered backgrounds, you're going to spend sort of months rendering those scenes in the background. Whereas if, it, if you've got the environment there, it's there, the footage is complete. If you want to add yes. extra you know, laser beams or whatever, you can do that, but you're not having to do the whole environment. Yes, And that saves a lot of time because they actually finished filming season two of Strange New Worlds before season one had finished being broadcast. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, so that's, that gives you an idea of, you know, how f- much th- speed there's an increase there. Yeah. And um, obviously as a Star Trek fan, that makes me happy because it means not having to wait quite so long for the next episode yeah, now that the season's finished. Yes. Um, so, yeah. And I think another advantage is, so I don't think anyone's taken use just yet. If you've got these in virtual environments that are powered by unreal and you want to make a tie-in video game you can just take the assets straight from that and put them in the video game because they're already refined for real-time use i'm sure that they figured that into the production i have absolutely no (laughs) doubt john talked about john when we're talking to john gaser he was talking about how you can um use use the assets in all in many different ways so game film social media, whatever it is you want to do with it, um, you know, theater and all the rest of it, all can be used um, as a collective suite. So each kind of set of assets becomes like a little business model for its own um, content production. Yeah, so upcoming Star Wars and Star Trek video games are probably going to be using the actual locations and props. Which I think is a creative, a good creative idea. Because if you're somebody who enjoyed that series, you're going, oh my God, I'm in that that actual space that was in the, in the television series. Yeah. And I and, think that's pretty cool. And you know, if it's something in the background that catches your eye, you can go in the, in the video game, but I'm going to have a close look at it. So sure. well, that's really fascinating. No matter what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But you know I what I wonder, out... well, I, all I was going to say was I, I bet that creates yet another set of IP issue, issues though, because if you're using the same background and it looks the same as in the film, and these studios are hot on what you can do with the film and how you can use the film in YouTube and all the rest of it. How are you going to be able to use the game content with your own machinima? So yeah. that's going to create another minefield for creator, content creators, I think. You're right. But then again, I'd like to point out that how many lawsuits have we seen or yep. takedown notices? There haven't been that many. Uh, in great, um, so yeah, although you're taking a risk, it's not a sure thing that you're going to get your hand slapped if you use that material, especially since uh, the argument can be that you're promoting 
yeah. the material as well. And you give proper credit. So I think it's 50-50 on that one. Yeah. I was, yeah. was going to point out that uh, it also does that the use, use of Unreal uh, real-time technology also helps the actors because unlike previous uh, uh, shows, uh, earlier shows in the television history, you couldn't see exactly where you were or what you were doing. None of the original Star Trek actors knew what things looked like. Maybe they'd get a sketch or a painting, but that's it. But mm -hmm. here they can actually look on the monitor and see the, the world that they're in and then make adjustments. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's like it's dark, so I'll have to do this. Or it, it's got this cold thing. So I, you know what I mean? It gives them more imaginative material to work with. Mm -hmm. uh, and as an actor, I think that's great. So mm -hmm. I think it's helping the actors too. Yeah. There was a scene in the Battlestar Galactica reboot where you've got these two actors and they're kind of huddled together looking up at the sky because um, there's one the galactica's jumped in it's dropping out of the sky so it's one object coming down but you look at the two actors they're huddled they're right next to each other they're looking in complete opposite directions <laughs> <laughs> even though they're supposed to be both looking up to see what's going on they're still looking like that that's where where probably what happened was they had to get that shot super fast mm. and they got it and they didn't have time to go back because a good director would say, would see that in the monitor in the replay. Yeah. And they would go, Hey, you guys, we need to change the, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll put a, um, a tripod and then put a, a piece of a card with an X on it. Yeah. So people can look, both actors can look at the right place, but I'll guarantee you they did that because they had no time and they had to get that shot. Yeah, it's a very action-packed episode, so I can see that before the a rush to get yeah, that done. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Old eagle-eyed Damien spots that. <laughs> I loved that sequence so much. I watched it so many times that things like that started popping out to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, do you have anything else, or I got one more thing. It's not quite as cheerful as um, what we've been covering so far. It's the news that the Unity engine is merging with a company that produces malware. Oh, Aye. yeah, um, I, I don't really, I haven't really looked too closely at this, um, but I feel like if you're using Unity to create your machinery, you might want to keep an eye on updates that come because you might find yourself getting things installed in your computer that you don't want. Ouch. That's really bad news. Why yeah. did they do that? I don't know, but there Money, was a big outcry because... about it. Because probably Unreal is just squashing them to death in terms of the market. Uh, but that's too bad because Unity has always been a very positive and supportive and growing market. And the only reason I can think of is financing hmm. money. It's, it's a shame because I know you've been a champion of Unity for quite a while. So when I saw that, I thought, that's not going to end well. Uh, if it puts people off using it. Yep. So uh, if you're using Unity or thinking of Unit using Unity, keep that in mind. Um, obviously, they're going to use their malware um, in any product that they take on or any application. So check your updates to make sure and keep an eye out. We'll report on that more in the future. Can you keep an eye on that for us, Damien? Yeah. Uh, anything else I find out, I will cover okay. in the future. All right, I just got a, uh, two short pieces of news. Uh, 
that I wanted to share with him. Both of them are much more positive than the Unity thing. Uh, in keeping with the Unreal theme, Epic Games has released an animation field guide. Uh, it's a free down downloadable 120-page ebook on real-time production, including case studies on the work of Sony Pictures, ImageWorks, and DNE DNEG animation. Um, it shows an overview of the differences between real-time production using Unreal Engine and traditional offline rendering pipeline. The bulk of the content is mostly interviews with Unreal users, uh, but still it's a free downloadable. I think it's worth checking out if you're interested in real-time filmmaking because it'll give you all the basics of how that's done. Uh, if you're wondering how the Star Trek people are using it, you can uh, download this thing. We'll give a link for it in our show notes to uh, make sure you can get the download. And I'm really glad they're doing that. The Epic Games has been doing a good job of outreach and support and uh, tutorials, tutorials, tutorials. So good for them. And then my last piece of news is uh, an update on Nightmare Puppeteer by the uh, uh, person who was previously known as M. Strange. His real name is Mike. He lives down in uh, Santa Santa Marinas, yeah, and uh, San Jose, well, it's Northern California. And um, I'm so glad to see that he's still working on this updates and additions and fixes. Um, it costs 49 cents uh, and he frequently has sales so you get a half price, so it's 24 cents in the future. It's really the best buy you can get because it's free. It's a game engine. It allows you to make just crazy and strange and interesting uh, 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 animations. And if you know M. Strange's work, his stuff is very experimental and strange and kooky. And um, I think he called himself one time the Walt Disney's of weirdos, which I think is <laughs> a good way to put it exactly right. Some of the updates include uh, new new modes, new rendering modes. And he's got like 20 or 25 of them. And you can render your entire scene as, you do, as you're working on something in just absolutely completely strange and wild looks, including traditional stuff, black and white and, and high noir look. You know, it's just terrific. He's got new uh, FX. He's got new actors that he's added to it. And he also has this fascinating thing that to my mind is the best addition you can, he's always had the ability to put subtitles in your, in your scenes, natural occurring subtitles that will time with the actors speaking, you know, which I thought just made it, could, could make it wonderful. Uh, but what he's done is he's allowed you to be able to do dialogue subtitles that will randomly choose from a, a bank of, of, um, of text. So for example, if you wanted to do kooky Shakespeare, you could take a speech, a Hamlet speech, put it in the dialogue and the engine will randomly choose lines <laughs> and put them together. So you could have this sort of absurdist Shakespeare thing that you can in turn make a, a scene front with, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So you could do your own Shakespeare, kooky Shakespeare production. I just want to congratulate Mike for staying with it 
and working on it and connecting because the uh, uh, use of the Nightmare engine has fallen off quite a bit since its original production a year, year and a half ago. And yet he's still working hard on it. You can get the, the, this tool, Nightmare Puppeteer, on Steam, as I said, for 49 cents. The new editions are in the experimental branch of it, and it's easy to access the experimental branch. You download it, and then you access by using a password, and he gives you the password. So um, it's very easy to do. That way, you can use the experimental branch without screwing up anything that you're working on in the normal branch. You know what I mean? So kudos to Mike uh, for Nightmare Puppeteer. And if you haven't use this and you like strange and unusual and kooky stuff, this is a great tool to use for that. And at 49 cents, it's essentially free. And that's my news. Great stuff. Yep. Yeah. Okay, everybody, thank you very much for sharing your Machinima news. Uh, I'm always fascinated after 20 plus years that we're still having interesting and compelling news about Machinima and Machinima related technologies. That's very encouraging to me. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you have comments on the news or you want to get any downloads on some of the stuff we've done, we'll have them all in the show notes. Uh, also feedback on stuff that we've talked about, just uh, talk at completelymachinima.com is a way to connect with us. Uh, so thank you, Tracy and Damien. Uh, that's it for our news segment. We'll be back uh, with our film section. Uh, in the next video. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.